morning. Like Matt said, we're continuing our series in 1 John, and today we're going to look at the third and final test that John gives us in this letter. Now remember that these tests were given to confirm for these early Christians what they already knew to be true. It was confirming for them that they were Christians, that their faith was authentic, and that they really did truly have a fellowship with God. So John gives us these three tests to help confirm our faith. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the first test, which we call the obedience test. And that test said, By this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. And we learned that Jesus' people love keeping Jesus' commandments. Last Sunday, we looked at the second test, which was the love test. And it said, whoever says that he is in the light, but hates his brother, is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And so we see that Jesus' people love one another, and they love to serve one another. And they can know that they are Christians when they love. And so today we're going to the last test that the Apostle John gives us, and that is the belief test or the doctrine test. And it's all about what we believe about Jesus. So John says it this way in what uh, Matt just read to you. He says, No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And what we learn from this passage is that Jesus' people believe in and confess Jesus rightly. So we're going to walk through this full text this morning. We'll have it on the screens. There's a lot of text, but we'll walk through it together. And our goal today is that John's words would be a comfort to us, that we would know, that we know, that we have Jesus, because we believe in him and confess him rightly. That's our goal this morning, that we would know that for sure deep in our bones. So that's what we're going for. Let's uh, pray together and seek God's grace for that. Heavenly Father, merciful God, we pray to you now that we would throw ourselves at your feet. We confess to you now that we need you more than anything. Jesus, we confess to you that we need a Savior and that you are that Savior. So God, I pray that this morning it would not be my words that I'm speaking, but that it would only be your words that I'm speaking. And Father, I pray that through your Spirit, you would use those words to minister to our hearts, to confirm for us what we already know to be true, that we have been anointed by you, that we have the gift of the Spirit, that we have been made alive to you, and that we love you, Jesus, and that you are all that we need. We pray to you, Jesus, that that would be true for us this morning. Please do that work in our hearts, and it's in your holy and beautiful and glorious name that we pray. Amen. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was visiting some friends in Indiana, and uh, just for a few days, and on that Friday, we drove up to this place in the middle of Michigan called Kalamazoo. Has anybody been to Kalamazoo, Michigan before? Are you guys half? <laughs> yeah, I thought I might be the only one. I didn't know if it was actually a real place or not. It was, it was a crazy place. 
But uh, we were sitting there at the restaurant, at this restaurant, which has apparently the 10 best fries in the whole country, so um, it has that going for it, and they were pretty good. Uh, But we were sitting there with my friends, and we were just reminiscing about our time at at seminary together, at Gordon-Conwell, and we were just catching up about how hard the classes were, how hard it was to learn Greek, you know, just talking about, like, the Bible and just about theology and just, you know, shooting the breeze and doing that. And there's a guy sitting at the next table over, and he overheard us, and so he uh, came over at one point and introduced himself and started engaging in our conversation. And I was like, oh man, uh, I asked him, you know, you seem really interested in this stuff, you know, are you a Christian? And uh, I hadn't heard this response before, uh, but he looked at me and he said, oh no, I'm an apostate. And I said... I just did this. <laughs> and he must have seen my puzzled face. I wasn't ready for it because he immediately clarified what he meant by that. And he told me, oh, I'm, a, I'm an apostate. That means that I don't hold to any formal beliefs in anything. I don't believe in anything. And, you know, I just couldn't let that one slide. So maybe I responded to him and maybe it was a little bit too sarcastically. But I said, so your belief is that you don't have any beliefs? And he smiled and said, well, if you put it that way. But we spent about the next hour talking about, actually, all of his beliefs that he had. And we talked about what he believed about the Bible and what he believed about Christianity. And he shared his experiences with it and why he thought that the Bible was unreliable and his problems with the religion and the God of the Old Testament. And all of these questions, all these things that he's learned over the years, he was bringing up to us. And they were all really, really good questions. And we were happy to engage with him as best as we could with them. But I was always, and the whole time, always trying to drive him back to the question of, what do you believe about Jesus? Because any question is going to be secondary to the main question, which is, who is Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And so eventually in the conversation, Andy, this guy Andy, eventually told us, well, yeah, look, I I love Jesus. I think he was a great person. I try to live by his moral teachings. He told us, you guys know Jesus' great commandment was to love our neighbors, right? And so, like, you guys are my neighbors. I try to love everybody I meet. I try to do the right thing. I try to treat everybody how I'd want to be treated. That's how I try to live my life. And even to that, I think the Apostle John would say, yes, amen. I mean, that's exactly what this previous test that we looked at last week was all about, is that Christians love one another. They love their neighbor. But at that point in our conversation, we had to correct him, and and I told him, like, Andy, I agree with everything that you just said. You articulated Jesus' second great commandment beautifully. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But you forgot one. You forgot the first and foremost great commandment, that we must love God first and foremost above everything else. Love God with all of our heart, and soul, and mind, and strength. And unfortunately, that's where the conversation ultimately parted ways. Andy was sold. He was all in on the human Jesus. This human Jesus that had these great moral teachings that he could live by. He was all set with that, but he would not have any of Jesus' divinity. He was all good with the human Jesus, but not at all with the God Jesus. And so this dilemma, this, this dichotomy, is at the heart of 
what John is getting at today in this belief test. Like Kalamazoo Andy did, a lot of us can uh, try and make Jesus less than he is by just taking the parts of Jesus that we like and leaving the rest. That happens all the time today, but this is by no means at all a new phenomenon. And this is actually exactly what was happening in the context of our passage this morning to these early group of believers. And this is why John was writing to them. So we're going to walk through and check out these first couple of verses on the screen here. And we see in these first couple of verses, we have the first one up on the screen right now, we get some of the backstory of what's been happening in this letter. So one of the reasons that John wrote this letter to these early first century Christians was to encourage them to encourage these Christians who had just gone through this major earth-shattering split. So we read that there was this group who uh, left the church, who left the church because they were teaching a different truth about Jesus. And so we don't know exactly, precisely what their teaching was, but from what John mentions in these verses about them, uh, they were perhaps this group, or maybe at least similar to this ancient group that was called Gnostics which is just a fancy word uh, for, that describes what their belief was. So they believed in this false dualism between the evil material world and the good spiritual world. And because of this false assumed worldview, they made Jesus less than he was, not by rejecting his divinity, but by rejecting Jesus' humanity. Since this flesh and blood stuff, this physical stuff, all of it was inherently evil, there's no way that the divine and true God could ever take on human flesh. So this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, was not truly God in the flesh. His entire personhood was just a semblance, they would say. He did not really suffer on the cross, it just appeared that he did. It would seem like God was walking around in, the human, in human flesh, like us, but it just was not really true. So whether it was this specific false teaching or something similar to it, we do know that this group split from the church and went out from them because they were claiming to know a different truth. They were claiming to have this secret knowledge of this better understanding, the real truth that would actually lead to salvation. And the Christians who were left were rattled. And they were doubting and asking themselves, you know, do we, do we have the right belief in Jesus or do they? You know, is, is, what, uh, is, is the knowledge that we have the truth or is the knowledge that they have the truth? Is what we confess about Jesus real or is what they confess about Jesus real? And John was so adamant in his denial of this new teaching that he went so far as to call this group of people at left, he called them antichrists, which we see in this verse here. And what John is simply saying is uh, that this is not to be confused with some sort of end times apocalyptic capital A antichrist figure that we have kind of an image of just from our culture. But all that John is saying here is that these people who left them were antichrists in that they were antichrist. They were opposed to Christ. They denied Christ. John gives us that name because they denied that Jesus was the Christ that he was the Messiah, that he was God in human flesh. And so we see right away from this context of this verse that there really isn't anything new under the sun. You know, this kind of teaching 
wasn't just uh, in the first century, but it's throughout history, and it's even today. We see it taught and believed all the time. Whether someone denies Jesus' humanity, like this ancient group of people did, or if they deny Jesus' divinity, like Kalamazoo, Andy, and so many people in our culture do today, it really is just two sides of the same coin. In both cases, it's a claim to truth, it's a claim to a better understanding that actually makes Jesus less than he is. But John is making the point that it does not take some super secret or special knowledge to know what's true. You do not need to be a Bible scholar. You do not need to have several degrees in theology to be able to figure out who Jesus is. But exactly and precisely what John is saying in this passage, before he even gets to the belief test itself, is that he wants to make sure that these Christians know that they know that they have the truth because they have Jesus. And just you can skip uh, two slides over to verse 20, where we'll see that. These Christians did not have to doubt. They did not have to worry for a second. And we don't either, because we already have the truth, because we already do have Jesus. Okay, so how do we know that? How is that possible? Well, verse 20 tells us, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. How do we know? Because we've been anointed by the Holy One. We've been anointed by Jesus Himself. And if you've been anointed by Christ, then He is identifying Himself with you. You have been identified with Him. And you've received the gift that Jesus has promised, that His own Spirit that lives in you now. And notice that this verse is past tense. It's, you have been. It's something that you are now. It's a state of being. We already have it. We've already uh, been there and done that. It's like a permanent stamp on the passport of your life. It reads, anointed in the Holy One. There's no going back from that. We have it already. And because of that anointing, we see in the next part of the verse, John writes that the benefit of this anointing is that we also have the knowledge that we need. And you have And you all have knowledge. We already have it. We've made it through every section of the syllabus. We've checked off every box. There's nothing left for us to learn. There's nothing left to cover. Class is out. It's summer break. We have all the tools, all the resources we need. We're ready to go. And this is one of the reasons I love John is that he's not content just to say it one time, but he says it again. He reiterates and says it a different way. And in verse 20 says, uh, verse 21, he writes, And I write to you, I'm writing you this letter, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. I'm not writing you guys to teach you guys anything that you don't already know. And this is the distinction that John is emphasizing. If they already have all the knowledge that they need, They don't need to worry about anything that this new group of people is giving them, is trying to sell them. They don't need it. They don't need to worry about if they're missing out on some new vital information that they need to live a life before God and and to gain salvation. They don't need any of that. They already have the truth. And then I love this, and John just writes for good measure, and no lie is of the truth. Like, yeah, no duh, John. Like, 
Is the sky blue? Like, yeah, do fish swim? Or fishes swim? I don't know the plural. Uh, is water wet? Of course, like, no lie is of the truth. That doesn't make any sense. How could something that's true be a lie? But that's what John is telling us. He's pleading with us. He's, he's telling us, guys, people, like, let's not make this more complicated than it needs to be. Don't listen to these guys. Lies can't be true or else they wouldn't be a lie. The truth can't be a lie. It really is just as simple as that. And sometimes, you know, the most comforting thing to hear is what you've heard over and over a million times before, but hearing it again from a friend that you love dearly. And that's John's words to us here. He's saying, look, I know you guys know this already, but just in case, I'm going to tell you again, you have Jesus. You have the truth. So these Christians, they can be sure that they have the truth. They can be sure that they have Jesus. So what is the truth that they have? What is the, t- uh, the truth? What is this test that we're talking about? And maybe another question to ask it is better is, why was this truth about Jesus so important? Why was it so important that they get this question right? Was it worth splitting the church over? Uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't it have been better if they tried to reconcile and stay together and compromise on this truth? Why did they absolutely have to get this doctrine or this belief about Jesus right? And John gives us the answer in his typical fashion. He gives us the negative and then the positive way of phrasing it. He says, not this, but this. And here's how he says it in the next verse. Uh, In verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we could say it like this. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. But anyone who confesses the Son does have the Father. So why was this belief test so important? Because everything, everything rested on confessing Jesus rightly. And so here we get a closer look at what the lies that this group of people who left were trying to pass off for the truth. John tells us, who is the liar? Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. This is the person who is against Christ. He who denies the Father and the Son. So who is the liar, John asks? Well, he's the one who says, sure, yeah, Jesus was God, but he wasn't ever really a human. He was never really man. Who is the liar, John asks? Well, it's the person that says, yeah, I'm all for Jesus. I love him. He was a great person. But you want me to believe that he was also God? There's no way. This is the lie. The lie that says Jesus is not the Christ. The lie that says Jesus is not the eternal Son of God who took on human flesh. The liar to John is the one who will take what they want from Jesus and leave the rest. 
That's the lie that was rocking this church and these Christians. And John is saying to them that you can be sure that if anyone denies Jesus in all of his humanity and in all of his divinity, that person does not have fellowship with the Father. So what is the truth then? What is the confession? What is the person who confesses Jesus? What does that person look like? And John told us already, these are the first words in how he opened up his letter to these Christians. And he said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, we've seen it with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we've touched it, we've touched it with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the confession. And too often we try to make Jesus less than He is and still try to enjoy all the benefits that John laid out for us in this passage. We try to enjoy all these benefits without having Jesus Himself. We can think at times that we can find lasting happiness apart from the joy-giving God. We think that we can find true meaning in life simply by being a good person. We think we can find meaning in the created things instead of the creator and sustainer of all things. We think to ourselves, I don't know, maybe there is a God, but uh, maybe not, but if there is, you know, he's, he's going to know that I did my best, that sure, I made mistakes like everybody else, but I loved people, I loved my family, I tried hard, I worked at my job well, and I did my best to love others, so he's going to honor that, I'm sure. And if these lies were actually true, if what these different people were saying was true, then yes, everything we're doing this morning would be meaningless, And it would be better off if we'd leave right now and go find something else, uh, something better to do, a better way to use our time. Because if these lies were true, if Jesus was truly God but didn't actually take on human flesh, then how can what the Scriptures say is true? That we have a great high priest who identifies with our humanity, who knows our struggles, who is tempted like we are, who became hungry and thirsty like we get hungry and thirsty. Who died like we will all die, and yet who was raised from the dead to defeat death and give us life? How could any of that be true? What good to us is a Jesus who is not actually human? And if the lie is true, and if Jesus was truly human, but he was not truly God, then how could he truly be the propitiation for our sins? And not just for your sins and not just for my sins, but for all of our sins and the combined sins of all of his people from all of eternity. If Jesus was just another man like any one of us, how could he bear the sins of the whole world? And if he was just a man born into sin like all of us, how could he live a perfect life of obedience before God and satisfy the law's requirements on our behalf? 
What good is a Savior who is unable to save? But what if what Jesus said about himself is true? What if he is the way and the truth and the life? What if he truly is God and truly is man? What if he, from the beginning, existed with the Father and with the Spirit in Trinity from eternity past? What if through him and to him and for him all things were created? What if that God loved us in such a way that he sent his only Son to the world? And what if that Son, God himself, did take on human flesh that he might identify with his people and be the propitiation for their sins, cleansing them from all unrighteousness? And what if his people, forgiven and ransomed and cleansed from all their sins and given a new life in Christ, were marked by his anointing and the indwelling of his Spirit? What if all of that was true? Then we can know that we know that we have Jesus. We don't need anything else. We don't need any secret knowledge. We don't need to doubt or seek something that we do not already have. We already have everything that we need. We have Jesus. All right, so where do we go from here? Well, John just gives us a simple application. Because all of this is true, here's what we do. We abide. Now, I know some of you sitting here might not be Christians, and maybe you uh, believe that Jesus was just a good teacher and a good moral person, or maybe you doubt that he existed at all. And if that's you this morning, I would simply just ask you to think on the question, who do you believe Jesus is? And maybe you'd be asking this for the first time or maybe the hundredth time, but I just ask you to honestly ponder that question again and say to yourself and ask yourself, who do you think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? And if you have any doubts or questions about that, then let's walk through and talk through those together. Let's do that. But for those of us here today, like our ancient brothers and sisters in the faith, who have thrown themselves at the feet of Jesus, who confess their sin and rebellion against a holy God, who confess their need for a Savior and confess that they have that Savior in Jesus, who is the Christ. To those here who confess in Jesus, this is what John is telling us to do. He's telling us to abide. Abide in Jesus. Abide in his word. You have the truth of Jesus because he's given it to you. Abide in what you already know. Do not stray from what you've been given. You have his word. You have this book. You have it. It's on your phones. You might have a copy of it physically with you. So cherish it. Love it. Study it. Read it. Abide in him. Abide in Jesus. If you have any doubts this morning, any doubts at all, if you're right with God, know that you are. Be comforted by God's words to you in this text. That as you confess the Son, you truly do have fellowship with the Father through His Spirit that is living in you now. So abide in Him. And this is the promise that He has made to each and every one of us. Eternal life. Let's pray.